Well, I want to tell you, start off tell you about a uh, family of bears that was having some problems, and so they ended up in divorce court, and it was a custody case for the little baby bear. And the judge said, "Well, do you want to go with your, with your, with the papa bear?" And he said, "No, papa bear beats me." And the judge said, "Well, do you want to go with mama bear?" And and the baby said, "No, mama bear beats me too." And the judge said, "Well, I got to give you the custody to somebody. Who do you want to go with?" And he said, well, can I go with the Chicago Bears? They don't beat anybody. (laughs) Whenever you go to court, there are always two sides in court. Sometimes it's like a family court sort of thing, or or most of the time when you think of court, there's, there's a defense and there's a prosecution. And they're always, they present their case to the judge, and the judge has the responsibility of weighing all the evidence, looking at both sides and, and whatever they've told them and deciding who is right and who is wrong. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. I know there's a lot of corruption sometimes, but, but that's basically the way it's supposed to work. And So here's something to think about. In our culture these days, there are a lot of people who have chosen to rebel against God and to ignore the law that He's written on our hearts to... to deny their conscience and, and to deny the Bible and, and that kind of thing. So they enter in, they choose to enter into an existence of sin and death. They forfeit their lives by choosing to go against God. And, and, and those are just the kind of people that Christians are called to go and take the good news of Jesus Christ to. To say that you've killed yourself with sin there is a way out of it. If you're willing to repent and believe, God can, can forgive you and renew you. And so our job is to go to those people and to preach repentance and to preach salvation through the grace of God. The problem is, when people choose to turn their backs on God, they also turn their backs on wisdom. Because God is the one who gives wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And and they, when they choose to turn their backs on God, they choose to turn their backs on the light of truth. Because God is truth. And so by choosing to turn against God and, and to go into a life of sin and, and slavery to death, they basically they, they choose stupidity. They choose dullness. They choose darkness and, and choose poor thinking. And, and so in a lot of respects, they can, you know, we we all know these people. We've met these people. We work with these people. They're we're, they're our friends. They're our family sometimes, and a lot of times they can seem like intelligent and capable people for the most part. But when it comes to matters of ultimate truth and reality, they can start to seem about as smart as a bag of hammers when you talk to them sometimes. And 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 you know they they might be able to be a rocket scientist or or to be a, a brain surgeon or something like that but then you start talking about faith matters of ultimate eternal existence kind of matters and it's like the all that intelligence when they were rocket scientists and surgeons and doctors and whatever falls out of their head and they can't seem to think anymore and it's even worse when it when you know the things that ought to be common sense and you'll hear all sorts of arguments these days have you ever heard of the word abiogenesis, it's a scientific term for life from non-life. And basically, you know, we evolution is pushed in on everybody these days. And whenever you hear that, if you go back to the question of, well, how did it get started? Where did it all begin? How did 
dead stuff become alive? How did the, the rocks or the water or the primordial ooze or whatever come to... How did life start on this earth? And they've got no answer. They've got no clue. They'll throw all sorts of convoluted ideas at you. Well, maybe... I mean, and it's really crazy. It's maybe life came from some alien planet, some faraway distant galaxy that seeded our galaxy with life. doesn't say how the life got started in some other galaxy... But you'll hear things like bacteria came in on a meteorite from somewhere else, and that's how, from Mars. That, that Mars was once alive, and a meteorite came from Mars and landed on Earth, and that started life on Earth. doesn't say how life started on Mars, but there's no answer for it, but they've got a word for it, and they never want to deal with that question. And if you'd think it'd be common sense. Well, life does not come from non-life. It doesn't happen. It's never happened in a lab. You can't... You can't reproduce it. You can't make it happen. You can't test it. There is, it's impossible to do without a miraculous input of something. And, and so you think that's common sense, but people believe that in spite of the fact. That, and, and when you think of things that are in our, in our own bodies, your eyes, your ears, why would those things start? If life is just random nonsense, why would you develop eyes? I mean, how does, how does a, a cell, a single cell, if you have single cells, which are pretty complicated, how does a single cell decide, I need to see, so I'm going to form an eye over millions of years? Or ears. Why would you develop ears? How would your ears know that there's vibrations in the air that can turn into communication someday so that we can hear? And mouths that can speak and create those vibrations. So, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to think that non-intelligence made this stuff in our bodies, in all the animals' bodies. And, and taking flight is such a complex thing. I mean, you look at birds. You look at the, the engineering that goes into aircraft is all based on birds that God created. And birds, they have hollow bones. They have support structures and, and the, the, the muscles. Everything is built specifically for flight. And if they were missing just one or two of those aspects, they wouldn't be able to fly. There would be no flight. And all those animals would be dead. But because God thought out all these systems in advance and designed it that way, we have light. And you would think it would be common sense to say, well, of course those things wouldn't just develop on their own. It's the, you'd have to have them all in place at the exact same time. You couldn't slowly add one or two or three or four. It would all have to be there in order for it to work. Otherwise, they die and they cease to exist. And, and, and just so many irreducibly complex systems in biology and plants and animals and, and, and physical structures that, that would just not exist if it wasn't for an intelligent being saying, this is how it needs to be put together in order to work when it's made. The, 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 the idea of, our, of a universe that's of the earth that's billions of years old. If you go back a couple billion years, the moon is rolling around on the surface of the world. If, if you didn't know, the moon is getting farther and farther away. Every day, the moon is just a little farther away. If you live long enough, it won't, be any, it won't exist anymore because it will be flown off. But it probably won't happen in our lifetimes. You've got lots and lots of time for the moon to be up. But if you go back billions of years, that means the moon's closer and closer. It would have been part of the earth, which is impossible. It just doesn't work that way. And, and, and mountains, if we had billions of years, there would be no mountains because there's wind and rain and water and erosion. The mountains would all be flat after billions of years. The, the, the oceans would all be filled up with the erosion and runoff and silt. Everything in the world would be flat if it was billions of years old. 
people worship stars these days. You would think that was a thing of the past, but people say we all come from stars. Stars are our fathers because they make all the elements and the elements spread around and, and then eventually they all coalesce and they come together and they, and they make rocks and they make chemicals and then those chemicals one day spring to life and that life turns into worms and then into bananas and then into monkeys and then into us. And that's the, that's the science of today that says that's where we came from. They worship the stars. It's, you think of common sense and you think, how stupid are you? How can you think something that just doesn't make any sense? It doesn't matter how many complicated terms you put behind it, it just doesn't make sense. And we've all been there before. We've all talked to people who, you know, that, that just won't listen to reason when you're dealing with those kinds of basic issues. There was a time in our own lives when we were that stupid, when we chose to go against our own good conscience and to sin against God. We've all been there. It takes a special kind of ignorant to break God's law, to go against the conscience that says, don't do that, that's wrong, don't do it, that's wrong, don't do it, and we do it anyway. And we think everything will just be fine. And at some point in our lives, we've all chosen that ignorance. Fortunately, I think most of you have decided to, to go back because you learned how stupid that was. But thank the Lord, He is willing to forgive us. He's willing to accept us back and say, yes, I will take you back. You come and live my way and stop living your way and I would be glad to forgive you and renew your mind back to the way it's supposed to be, to restore your life back to the way it's supposed to be and help us to think straight again. Praise the Lord. And, and so with clear heads and clean minds, we go about trying to share what Christ has done for us with other people. To say, this is what Jesus did for me. He can do it for you. He can make your life brand new. He can make your mind brand new. He can help you to live the way you're called to live. He can do that for you. But one of the things that might happen is we try to tell them why they should turn to Jesus and explain all the, the reason and the logic we have behind our faith to explain the reasons for the hope we have within us is that we present all this evidence for God. We say, well, God exists because look at creation. Look at all the things around us. Look at the, the, look at the illogical explanations that, that you hear in pop culture today. Look at the logical explanations the Bible gives that a supreme intelligent being who has always been and existed forever was able to write out a plan for a universe and to speak it into existence by his power. And let me give you all the evidence of the things that the Bible talks about. And to speak, you know, we try to present our case to sinners to say this is the reason you should believe. This is the evidence behind our faith. This is, and try to get them to choose between right and wrong. But there are a couple of problems with that tactic. First is that their minds are darkened. They've chosen to darken their minds with sin. And, and they have purposely chosen to turn away from the way and the truth and the life. They've made that choice. So no amount of facts and figures is going to save them. No information is going to make their life whole and new again. You can have all the evidence in the world, and we do. We have a whole world. We have the stars declare the glory of God. The heavens, day and night, declare the glory of God. So we've got all that evidence, but it doesn't matter. If someone refuses to accept the truth, all the evidence in the world isn't going to save them. And people refuse to accept the truth sometimes. The other problem is, if you're giving someone evidence and presenting a case for them to decide who is the judge. If you're presenting the case to them, they're the judge. 
But in reality, who is the real judge? God is the judge. God is the one supreme judge. So we ought to be careful about what place we give lost people as we explain the reasons for the hope within us. It's okay to... to, to, We need to remember that the ultimate truth is God Himself. Without God, there would be no truth. That It's okay for us to say God is real. Well, how do you know God is real? Well, because God has revealed Himself to us. There's, there's nothing in science that you can really prove. That's why they call everything theories. Because the, when it comes to it, theoretically, we could be, your mind could be, if you ever watched Star Trek, there was one episode where they had brains in this thing, and there was no bodies, it was just brains communicating with each other, and they would imagine these things, and they would play out their imagination. Theoretically, your brain could be encapsulated in a box somewhere, and you could be imagining reality. That's kind of what the, the Buddhists think. That this is all just imagined. That we don't really exist. You could be you know, a, a plugged into a computer somewhere and everything that you think is real is just an imaginary simulation that's, that's invented and you're just imagining reality. None of your friends are real. None of your family's real. Your body's not real. I mean, that's what science says. That that's a possibility. You can't actually prove that we're here. We can use our sights, you know, our senses, our touch and taste and smell, and, and that's what science does. It, it measures things using our senses. But you can't really prove it because how do you know you're really here? And that's the kind of thinking that science does because you can't actually prove that you're here. All you've got is your senses. And so we say, I can prove that I'm here because God says that I'm here and God has revealed Himself. You know, if there is a God then wouldn't He be able to present Himself in such a way that we know without a doubt that He's real? Well, philosophically, you have to say yes, of course. If God is real, then He could present Himself in such a way that we know He is real. Well, the answer to those people is I have. God has done that in my life. God has revealed Himself in such a way that I know He is real beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know I am real. I know I'm not a brain in a box. I know I'm not a computer program. I know I'm not just an imagined all this existence. I know you're real. I know I'm real. I know the world is real because God has revealed it. And that is the ultimate truth. And that's our argument. Our standpoint is that God is the ultimate truth. And His Word is the ultimate authority for presenting that truth and explaining the living God of the universe. And, and, and instead of appealing to sinners and making them the judge and, and letting them make a judgment about God and say, here's the facts about God, here's the facts about God, here's the facts about God, now what do you think? We say, no, God is the... We appeal to the Word of God. We say, this is the truth. This is the truth that God has written because He has revealed it and, and, and He is the one who chooses who is right and who is wrong. And you can either believe it or you can choose not to believe it, but you're going to be wrong if you choose not to believe it. And, and, and of course, there's nothing wrong with, with scientific evidence, with historical evidence. With you know, there's Research is good. It's good to learn. It's good to use your senses and to use your mind and to think critically and to measure things and weigh things. That's good. As a matter of fact, that's how science got started because a long time ago, Christians said, you know what? If God made the universe, then things are going to make sense. We're going to be able to use our senses to, and, and things are going to be the same from day to day. God made things out of logical reason, so we'll be able to measure something. And if it's this way, this way, one day, and this way, the next day, 
That's because God has made an ordered universe. So we'll be able to do science because we live in an ordered universe. If we lived in a random universe, you wouldn't be able to do that. You'd do a science experiment one day and a science experiment the other day and things could be totally different because you live in a random universe. Why should anything be the same from day to day? But the the Christians of hundreds of years ago said, you know what? We trust in God. We trust in an ordered universe. Therefore, we can start researching and understanding His creation because God is an ordered God. He's a logical God. He's a sensible God. So we can figure out the, the things that God has made and why they work the way they work. And so science is good and history is good. And, and, and when you're trying to help people understand God better and see how reality always comports to God, it's okay to use evidence. But if you're trying to help people believe that the Bible is true, Surprisingly, the answer really isn't science or, or, or history or archaeology. It's, it's not even fulfilled prophecy. It's as great and as useful as those things are for teaching, and those are great things for teaching and for learning. It's simply presenting the God of the Bible that brings true authority to our witness. Simply giving people Scripture because it's the truth and saying that's why you should believe because God said so and therefore it's the truth. And, and God made the universe. He made us. He wrote the Bible through, through people that He inspired. And, and if you want to present the truth to somebody, then simply presenting the matchless and, and unchanging character of God Himself is the way to go about it. Peter gives some pretty good advice for sharing the Gospel. He says, this is First Peter chapter 3, our Scripture for today. At verse 8, it says, Finally, All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, affectionate, compassionate, and humble. Do not return evil for evil, insult for insult, but instead bless others because you were called to inherit a blessing. So God has blessed you, so you be a blessing to others. For the one who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from uttering deceit. He must turn away from all evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer, but the Lord's face is against those who do evil. So step one, if you want to be a good witness and present the Gospel to people who who need it because they're dying without it, step one is to call the life that you were called to live by God. He says live a good life. uh, Be kind, be compassionate, be humble, be righteous. Live that life. And that's step number one. You're obviously going to be a pretty lousy representative of Jesus if you're not living by His Spirit. If you're living every day caught up in, in vile practices and sin and deceit. And if you're living an evil life, people are not going to believe in God because of your witness. I don't know why you would even want to bother doing that if you weren't truly a believer. If you, why you would want to pretend you're a believer if you weren't filled with God's Spirit because it's not an easy life. It's, I like church and all, but there are so many people who, who won't like you because you're a Christian. Who will persecute you because you say you're a believer. It's not an easy life. Jesus says you're going to deal with persecution. You're going to deal with hardships, so get ready for it. If you choose to follow Me, you're going to face some temporary hardships in this world. And, you know, and, and so the, everybody knows that walking the right path and walking the easy one are often two different things. And so if you want to be a Christian, you've got to walk the right path. And I don't know why you would want to pretend if you're not a Christian, but some people do. So 
So that's step number one, is walking the right path. The next verse says, in verse 13, says, for who is going to harm you if you are devoted to what is good? If you're, if you're a good person, generally people are going to be okay with you. If you're treating everybody well and, and with fairness and, and with humility and those kinds of things that we're called to do, people, for the most part, are going to be happy about that. But, in the next verse, 14, but in fact, if you happen to suffer for doing what is right, because persecution comes because people hate God, and they hate his representatives. If they killed Jesus, what makes you think they're going to treat you any better? So it says, if you happen to suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. But do not be terrified them or be shaken. Of course, we know the reason that we do that and we put up with the persecution and then those kinds of things is that the long-term benefits are definitely going to outweigh the short-term sacrifices. If you're willing to choose Jesus and to, and to put up with that temporary suffering, then you you know that heaven is coming. You know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That He's going to give you a new life and a new mind now and that one day you'll get to experience them without the suffering and without the hardship and those kinds of things. So if you're, going to, if you're willing to choose Jesus, then you might as well go all in and live it out, that, live out that transformed life so that other people can see what Jesus can do in a person's life. And verse 15 says, but set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope that you possess. Yet do it with courtesy and respect, keeping a good conscience so that those who slander your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame when they accuse you. For it is better to suffer for doing good if God wills it than for doing evil. And that's the truth. You, you would much rather deal with a little temporary persecution on earth than, a, than eternal suffering in hell because of sin. So step one is live right. Step two is sanctify the Lord in your heart. Make Him holy. Make His Word holy. Make him, You choose to believe the truth and you choose to live it out and, and you, you, you think and act in the light of God's glory. It's Jesus who gives people new life. And so you respect that and you honor Him for it. It's His Spirit that does the work in people's hearts to make them new, to bring them into His light. We don't save people. I have never saved anyone's soul. I simply present the good news. God saves people. So we present a pure and perfect and holy God in all His glory. And then when people are saved, He gets the glory for the salvation. When, uh, to keep God holy in your heart. That's the, that's the step number two. That you live a good life. You keep God holy. You fill your mind with His Word. through. Obviously, you've got to study His Word. If you want to be, you know, have it part of your life, you've got to study the Bible and fill your mind with His Word through Bible study. And that is how you will always be ready to give an answer. You know God. You know God's Word so that when people ask you, you're ready to explain to them, this is why I believe what I believe. Because of what God has done in my life based on His truth. Let me tell you about it. And, and God is the only cure to a dull mind darkened by sin. There is no other hope for people. You can give them all the information in the world but until they choose to accept the truth, they're always going to be darkened. If you're living your life a committed 100% to Jesus, then sharing the good news about Jesus is going to become second nature. It's going to become something that you just... It's, it's easy to do because you know God. You know His Word. You've studied it. You've read it. You understand Him. You understand His character. You've got a relationship. So you know what God is like. And when someone asks you, 
what God is like. You say, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what He's done in my life. Let me tell you what He's done in so many other people's lives. Let me tell you His Word. I know God. I can explain Him to you. And it's just going to become part of who you are because you will have the truth and the truth will set you free, right? And so you'll be able to use the Bible to defend the faith and you'll have all the guidance of the Holy Spirit living within you to help you to know what to say, when to say it. You'll have all the, the core information in your mind and He'll say, remember this verse? Tell them that verse. That's the one you need to use. And, and so you'll have the Holy Spirit giving you that, that ability to reach out to the lost knowing exactly... God knows what's in their mind. God knows what's in their heart. God knows exactly what they need to hear in order to, to finally say, okay, I'll stop rejecting the truth. And God can help you to say those words. And so... So, Jeremiah 17 at verse 9 says, The human mind is more deceitful than anything else. It is incurably bad. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, probe into people's minds. I examine people's hearts. I deal with each person according to how he has behaved. I give them what they deserve based on what they have done. So no matter what kind of face people put on for us, God knows exactly what's in their heart. God knows exactly what's in their minds. And if you have a relationship with God and His Holy Spirit is living within you, He can help you know exactly what needs to be said to reach out to somebody. It's kind of a cool way that God works that way. And, and, and only His Spirit can convict sinners and turn them to the truth. And John 16 at verse 7 says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your, this is when Jesus is going away and he's telling his disciples, and they're like, we don't want you to go, we want you here, and this is what he says. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I'm going away, for if I do not go, for if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will prove the world wrong concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So Jesus said, if I go, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, through you, the Holy Spirit will be convicting the world and, and, and dealing with sin, teaching righteousness and judgment. And, and it makes all the difference in the world when you're filled with the Spirit. It, 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 when, when the Lord is in you, not only because He can help you and guide you, but because He is the one who empowers you to do all things. It's God's Spirit is the one who gives you the strength to endure hardships and persecutions. It's, it's the Holy Spirit who is the one who transforms your heart and helps you to, to live out a life of righteousness. And when people around you see that, when they see that transformation, when you can explain to them what's going on in your life, and, and, and then when they see that, it's a whole lot easier to believe that God created the universe. If, they, if the world sees someone that's living just like then saying, I'm a Christian and I'm forgiven and your life is no different, then they're going to say you're just a kook. Nothing's different. I don't believe in God. But if they see your life transformed and the Holy Spirit is speaking through you to hear the, and they hear the words that God wants to speak to them personally, exactly what they needed to hear, that's going to make it a whole lot easier to believe in God because that's miracle. And, and, but it's, it's really simple. I mean, it's simple as honoring God. It's simple as, as reading His Bible and, and you know, when your words and your actions are according to what God has called you to, then it's the word of God is living and active and sharper than than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow, 
and it is able to judge and desires the 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 thought to judge the thoughts and desires of the heart, right? When you're living filled with God, the Holy Spirit, it does that in you, obviously, that's where it starts, but it does that in the people around you too. You can give God's Word, the exactly part of God's Word that He wants them to hear, and it'll hit them to the core. Remember when Peter preached to, to all those thousands of people from the rooftop when the Holy Spirit came upon them, and he preached and he said, you guys killed Jesus and you did this, and 3,000 people were con- Convicted in their hearts and said, what can we do to be saved? What do we got to do? You think that was because Peter was such a great orator? Peter was a, a stick my foot in my mouth kind of person. And the Holy Spirit came upon him and he preached the Holy Spirit through him to all those people. And they felt the Holy Spirit and they were convicted and they said, what do we do? And he said, you come and you get baptized and you believe and you're going to be saved. That's what the Holy Spirit does in people. God's Word exposes our hearts and our minds and gets beyond that surface that people like to put on and, and, and to what really matters, our character. And God deals with our hearts and, the, and God's Word testifies about His amazing character. The Bible tells us who God is and what He's like. And, and, and when we submit our hearts to God's, we begin to take on His character traits. We begin to start looking more and more like Jesus. We start loving like Jesus. We start having wisdom from God. We start having all these... We, we look so much better. And we're better people. We're humble. We're kind. We're generous. We're compassionate. We start taking on those personality traits of our Lord because He fills us up. First John 4, at verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. By this love of God, by this the love of God is revealed in us that God has sent His one and only Son into the world so that we may live through Him. It is in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God resides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we reside in God and He in us in that He has given us of His Spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And that's what I've been trying to explain is right encapsulated in that Scripture that nobody can see God because He's a Spirit. You know, we live in the world and you say, believe in God. And they say, I can't even see God. How do I believe Him? And our answer is because God is the truth. And because He is the truth, the one true God, because He is real, He has decided to save my life and to put His Spirit in me so I know without a shadow of a doubt that God is real. He communicates. He heals. He saves. He makes things new. He's proved that over and over. And let me tell you about it. If you will repent and believe He'll do the exact same thing for you. I have the truth and the truth has set me free and you can be set free if you will accept the truth too. And that's the only real truth that there is. Nothing else is really provable. God is the truth. His Spirit in us makes that miraculous transformation so that we're no longer enemies of God but His friends. 
In fact, he adopts us like his own kids. He makes us part of his family and we become chips off the old block and start acting like our father. And people can begin to see God in us. They see that transformation. They say, what is going on in your life? What What is this hope that you have that I don't have? Tell me about it. And let me explain the hope that I have within me because it will change your life too. And that begins to open people up to the truth. And Jesus gave this command. He said, I give you a new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that love Jesus showed us was He sacrificed His life. He gave His all to save other people. And if we're doing the same thing and making sacrifices to reach out to other people and and being humble and, and obviously preaching the truth and preaching repentance and not watering down the Gospel, He was bold and He was strong. And that was out of love. If you really love your neighbor, what's the best thing that you can do for him? You can make sure that they get saved. There is nothing more important in anybody's life than, the, than to... Nothing is more important than eternal life. This life can be destroyed on earth and you can still have eternal life. So there is nothing more... If you truly love your neighbor, you're going to give them the Gospel. Nothing's more, and we're commanded to preach the Gospel. Jesus said... To, to, to promote righteousness. You preach the good news. You tell people to live life right. You tell people to believe my commandments. He said that was his great commission. All authority has been given him to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He said you baptize them, you teach them to, to, to obey, and remember that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that was his, his great commission. And our instructions are very clear. We're commanded to tell everybody about Jesus. We have a duty to preach. To preach repentance and obedience to God. We're called to answer people's questions about our faith. When they ask, we've got to be ready to give an answer to explain this. To, to explain the evidence of the world around us. To be smart. To, to you know, ask for wisdom. God says, I'll give you wisdom. You just ask. So we're called to have that wisdom and to be able to explain. We, that's our duty. And, and we do all that by the power of God's Spirit living within us. And, and by spreading the Word of God and by, by loving our neighbor as ourselves, the word apologetics describes defense or, or proof of uh, you know saying this is the proof of Christianity. That's what apologetics is. So when we apologize for our faith, we're not saying I'm sorry for it. If you ever heard that, when you when you apologize for the faith, you're saying this is the truth and this is why it's the truth and this is why I believe it. And, and so we ought to stand up for God. We ought to defend His name. And, you know, obviously we ought to live the life He's called us to so that we're not hypocrites when we stand up. So, so to stand for truth and to do it by presenting the Scripture as its own defense, as God as the ultimate truth, if there was ever anybody who had the right to end an argument with because I said so, it's God. And so we could say that. God said so, therefore it's the truth. So when you say, the Bible says, and somebody says, well, why should I believe in the Bible? Before you start going into textual arguments and examples and fulfilled prophecy and and scientific evidence that supports the Bible and, and all that good stuff, before you get into that, just remember that without God, there would be no truth. There would be no foundation for anything without god there there would be no reason if he, if the universe were were truly just randomness there would be absolutely nothing that you could be sure of 
You couldn't be sure that the thoughts that you were thinking were real. If your brain was just a bag of chemicals that was randomly put together over millions of years, you could be sure of nothing. Without God, there is no truth. And you remember that when you present all the other information. God is the reason that we are here and we can think and we can reason and we can do things. And no matter what your senses tell you, they tell you the truth about God first. And, and, and with, without God, there would be nothing. That our brain is, is only as reliable as the one who created it. Only God can reveal what is real and what is not. So, you're, so know your Bible and live like Jesus. And, and when unsaved people living in spiritual darkness see someone who's willing to sacrifice for their good, who's willing to, to take abuse and, and walk on, it will make an impact. And, and when they see the unmatched sacrificial love of Jesus who gave His life on a cross, that will make an impact. And it will be a lot more likely that they'll be willing to repent and believe if they see His followers acting like He did and, and, and living the life that He's called us to live. And married people, it's a, an extra motivation to you. Remember, your relationship is meant to be a witnessing tool. Marriage isn't just about falling in love and living together. It's not a social contract. A Christian marriage is meant to be a model of the kind of love that God desires with every person. With an intimate closeness, connect. Marriage is the model of what God wants with every one of us. And so in your marriage, you need to live that out. You need to live out a marriage of kindness and compassion and humility and healing and whatever I need to do to serve the other person, I'm willing to sacrifice it all in order to help the other person because that's what we're called to, to to exemplify who Jesus Christ is in our marriage. And the church, as His body, the church is called, the whole body is called to work together as a body, as a functioning machine that says this is how God works. So church you do what it takes to work together and to support each other and to lift each other up and to encourage one another to do good works. That's our job as a church is to represent Christ as one body. So we do that. We live out not just individually. We do it in our relationships. We do it in our marriages. We do it in our family. We do it as a body of Christ, as the church. That's our job. So, so if you're a Christian, you do that. You honor God with how you live. Demonstrate the love of God in, in, in what you say and what you do and your willingness to share God's truth with the lost and obey His commandments. Exemplify Jesus Christ in your life and God Himself will show up and come alive in you and help you to, to save a dying world and reach out to people who need to be reached out to and make your life more exciting and more worthwhile than you've ever imagined. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for Your reality that we don't have to live in doubt, that we can be sure of this, that we can know You, that we can know who You are, that we can become one of Your children. God, we thank You so much that You take ruined, messed up, rotten sinners and transform them into Your children and make them new and make us new and help us to think and help us to be wise and help us to to be Your people. God, help us to do exactly that. To live for You and to be filled with Your Spirit. Thank You, Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen.